0: Welcome to the Lighthouse Writers Workshop podcast, because sometimes what a writer needs most is other writers, even virtually. It may have been tax day everywhere else, but on Friday, April 15th, we here at Lighthouse celebrated National Poetry Month at Walker Fine Art with artist Judy Anderson and Lighthouse poet Ginny Hoyle, who discussed the shared creative process behind When We Were Birds, a book arts installation that combined poetry with visual art. Following them, we heard from a handful of Lighthouse poets that included some of our youth program participants.
1: Thanks for coming tonight. I, uh, my name is Mike Henry. I'm the executive director of Lighthouse Writers' Workshop, and it's my distinct pleasure not only to host this Writers' Buzz during National Poetry Month, um, but to introduce our main guests. I mean, this really feels like a celebration of, um, of, of Ginny and Judy's hard work. Basically, the outline of the night is uh, Ginny and Judy will come up. They'll talk a little bit. Um, Ginny's going to read a few poems, maybe answer a couple of questions. Because we all have questions, <laughs> um, and then uh, we'll uh, do an ekphrastic poetry reading. And um, ekphras- ekphrasis is a Greek word. Who studied Greek? Anybody? One person. Excellent. Cool. Um, which is basically um, Writing about art So um, There are I think nine poets tonight And they all wrote a response to um, This wonderful installation here So um, they're all going to We're all going to read for about 15, 20, 30 minutes each <laughs> and, then, and then we'll be done It'll be great No I think was it three to five minutes Three to four minutes Something like that Yeah yeah, don't worry, don't worry, it's okay. <laughs> Lock the door, nobody's leaving until we're done. Anyway, so after that, um, after the Poets Read, um, we're gonna have a wonderful acoustic performance by um, the fantastic stylings of uh, the band Fingers of the Sun, who uh, Megan Wilson is one of the singers. She's our illustrious program associate. Thanks for coming. <laughs> uh, okay, so I'm gonna read some bios. Um, I'm going to read Ginny and Judy's bio, and then I'll let you guys come up. And then I'll get off the stage. I know you're waiting for me to get off the stage. So, um, first, Judy Anderson is an artist, teacher, and arts administrator with over 30 years of experience in the field. Or as I once told my wife when we were driving across country and we saw uh, a horse out in the meadow, I said, that horse is outstanding in its field. (laughs) She really liked that one, she, she, despite herself. She, so Judy is outstanding in her field. She's absolutely wonderful. She's the Artistic Founding Director of Platform, which is a nonprofit creative arts center in Denver, and it's an absolutely wonderful place. Um, next time they have an opening. Do you have an opening coming up soon? Yes, on May 6th. May 6th, excellent. Um, what's that? The cards. The cards are over there. Over there somewhere. By the... The metallic spheres. Um, the platform is an absolutely wonderful place. I, I was lucky enough to be chosen as a fellow there, and it was a life changing experience for me working with um, the populations that, that they work with. And the guiding hand of Judy, who um, consistently told me, You need to work more on your art, which was something I really needed. Um, so she's just fantastic and a wonderful artist great person. Um, And then there's Ginny Hoyle, who, this is the bio she gave me. Ginny Hoyle is a short, lanky poet who was smuggled out of New Jersey 40 years ago, (laughs) trading a perfectly good eight-mile estuary for blue skies that have forgotten how to rain. Can you tell that she's the poet in in this? Um... She's. uh, She. I've known Judy for a long time now. She's probably one of the most talented writers I have ever met, and she's just a beautiful person. I mean, they both are, and um, I just love them dearly. They're just great. So, please welcome Ginny and Judy.
2: Make friends with the microphone. <laughs> wow, thank you all for being here. I could count. Last night I made a list and I knew 16 people were going to be here, and I thought, I'm good. <laughs> 16 is good. Thank you so much. Um, this is our third. Third, big. Big collaboration. collaboration show installation. I'm learning all these words all right. in Denver since 2005, and 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 really, certainly our most ambitious one, and and the, partly inspired by Bobby Walker, who is standing at the back there by the black door. If you haven't met Bobby, a, a wonderful, uh, wonderful inspiration. Uh, and so we wanted to start by talking about the collaboration because each time we've done it, it's gotten better and sweeter and more fun and more terrifying. So <laughs> so we're going to talk just for a few minutes. We're going to read this because this way we won't forget to say anything. This collaboration is bulletproof, is watertight, withstands cold down to about 64 degrees, which is the ideal temperature for serving
3: red wine. And and is the temperature of my basement studio in winter, where we work side-by-side two or three days a week to put this together over a period of about four months, though the whole creative process took about a year.
2: This collaboration takes something very private, which is the act of writing, and in particular my words and act of writing, and makes it startlingly public. And I survived.
3: <laughs> this collaboration stitches together 25 years of work and friendship with shared roots in graphic design and a handful of startling coincidences. For example, we just figured out, I think about it Three weeks ago, that we were both in France in the famous Revolution of 1968. <laughs> of course, we were both in diapers, but <laughs>
2: we were in the, exactly.
3: But we were, but were we were there. Revolutionary diapers. <laughs>
2: <laughs> this collaboration gives me a new appreciation for the plastic arts. I will never complain about revision again. When you're a writer, all you do is hit delete and stare into space until something happens or you fall asleep. (laughs) In Judy's world, it's all about materials that cost money and take up space and sometimes refuse to behave
3: when time is running short. This collaboration runs on peanut butter toast (laughs) and the culinary skills of my sister Barbara. Who would be with us, except she's with Judy's
2: mom. mom in California. This collaboration introduced us to a lot of cool places and people. Sometimes I felt like I was on a TV show called This Old Book, because <laughs> there are book artisans and sorcerers and sorcerers all over this city, and other places, too. Places where you can have words die-cut by laser, into steel discs, places, write this down, where you can buy 22-gauge cold-rolled steel because you never know when you might need some. (laughs) And some great people. Sculptor Christopher Hecker, who did all the steel work in the show. Photographer Efren Cruz and master framer Bill Stockman, who framed the paintings.
3: This project took what we do best together and kicked it up a notch or three thanks to the vision of gallery owner Bobby Walker and the consummate skill of gallery manager Mandy Renault. Mandy, where are you? And, thank you. And they're terrific interns.
2: And it taught me a whole new vocabulary, many of them familiar words in a new Context words like pounce and score and bind, words that have to do with turning language into codex volumes.
3: Oh, and words like codex, too. <laughs> Which is a term that refers to a book formed of bound leaves of paper, a form going back to antiquity.
2: A form that Judy's been working with and perfecting and pushing the boundaries of for many good years.
3: Decades. Many decades.
2: (laughs) And finally, this collaboration is fueled in so many good ways by Lighthouse Writers' Workshop, by the talent and generosity of its instructors, and I have to thank in particular Mike Henry and Chris Rancic, who are both here tonight. Can you raise your hands? Mike, we know who you are, but Chris... yeah. and equally by the community of its members. Could everyone in PBR please um, raise your hand? And Lynn Wagner as well, everyone who's reading tonight. We have a a passel of popular poets for you tonight, and you're going to love it. Um, So these good people have helped me evolve from a hobby poet into a hobby poet with publication credits, <laughs> and a book-length manuscript that's been returned by some very fine presses,
4: <laughs>
2: and four paintings that have my signature. I'm a writer. This is, this is how generous Judy is. Go figure. So I, I have said it before... And I'll say it again, that Lighthouse writers, Lighthouse people, are the smartest, the friendliest, and the funniest shy people you will ever know. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Is it my turn? Yeah, yeah, let's do it, you and Albert.
3: This this is a month that really celebrates words, something that's terrified me all my life because I'm not a writer. Working with Ginny has been like this joy that, that goes back to nineteen eighty six when we did our first project together. And there's actually a the book that we did together, Tokyo Press Check Making Face, which was the first piece we ever did together. Um, and you brought it tonight. I brought it tonight. Bobby's got it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was actually for the writers. And I know there's a lot of writers here. I had come back from Tokyo where I'd been doing a big project. And I wanted to do a book about what it's like being an American woman in 1986 working in Tokyo. And so I called Ginny and I said, I, I kind of know the content, but I don't know how to say it. So she said, let's say it in haiku that sounds like haiku to an American ear, and that was her first I believe, your first haiku anyway, um there are a lot of things that we can talk about, but what I thought I'd do tonight, since it's really celebrating the words, and I think the one thing about the way Ginny and I work, you might have questions about our collaboration later, is it's very difficult to to separate the words from the images, from the form. They all kind of come simultaneously. It's not one following the other. As we were um, titling the show, it started off when I was 64, because believe it or not, that's how, how old we are. And uh, then we started talking about, well, in our lives, then I was this, and then I was this, and then I was this. And then we thought, well, then then we were birds. Mm-hmm. So I'd like to read the first stanza that introduces the show. And then I'm going to turn it over to Ginny to read some of her magnificent poetry. And this so sums up everything I would like to be able to say if I could work with words instead of images. When we were birds, the sky went on forever, and the earth flew up to meet us in a haze of startled light. Then I was a child with wings, and the air a living thing as every flying child knows. Thank you.
2: I'm going to read four short poems because we have a lot of talent to hear tonight. Uh, The first one I'm going to read is called Awakening and it's a poem that I wrote for my husband, Greg. And Greg, you can raise your hand. (laughs) He's the one who's going to go like that. One of the ones, if I'm not loud enough. Where's the other one who's going to do that for me? Thank you. Thank you, Tim. So this is about those, that first, those first moments in the day when you open your eyes and you return. You re-engage. Uh, but it also became a theme in this show, this concept of reawakening to our lives as they continue to unfold. Awakening. Born in the belly of a star, a photon takes a billion years to break free. Eight minutes to get here surfacing through roots of dreams i watch your features coalesce in the half light before the welter of the day don't move though a blade of air cuts through the covers like an oyster knife here we are we are still here in the origin of morning Sparks in the belly of the morning star. So that is a poem that I wrote in a Mike Henry workshop. This is going to be full of lighthouse plugs, so just, you know, get used to it. (laughs) The next one is a prose poem. Um, I took a, one of the abbreviated afternoon sessions that Jake Adam York did on the prose poem at Lit Fest, which is a summer event, um, which is terrific. You don't have to go away to far-flung pace, pra- places to get a really good hit of writing instruction and uh, community. And so I'm really kind of intrigued with the form and playing with it. Uh, this is stage four The whole time I was on the phone asking questions about incapacitating illness, I tracked the progress of two ants that had joined forces to carry a crumb back to the burrow. This was in the living room. So they were hip-deep in carpet fiber shifting this way and that, trying to get a purchase on it, It was like watching Laurel and Hardy carry a safe, maybe a sofa, through a field of wheat. I wondered if ants sweat. I wondered if ants swear. (laughs) I wondered, really, if they would ever get there. The anthill lies 15 feet south as the crow flies on the other side of a solid wood door. All this reminds me that my father has come home to die, that we bear him gently on our shoulders through the last days, that I never imagined being an aunt, and I wonder who will carry me when my time comes. Thank you for being with me for that. The next one is called Lost, and John Bram, where is John Bram? Right here, a wonderful poet and teacher who is uh, leaving us too soon for Portland, but to Bright Prospects, and uh, has taught some wonderful courses here on... uh, poetry but also reading as a writer uh, the opportunity for those of us who are not in an undergraduate or graduate program to spend 4 to 8 weeks really studying one poet and so this was the at the end of the Robert Frost class which was quite powerful and we're always invited to write a poem at the end that uh, you know uh, you know pays tribute to that poet in some way and I was very as everyone else is, struck by his majestic use of blank verse and using that uh, revered, older form, stately form, with you know the wonderful gift of plain language that he had. So I wanted to do that, and I thought if I kept it short, I had a shot at it. <laughs> so this is lost. I look for you... Among the books you loved, knowing your fingertips touched every page, and in the hollows of the hills you walked, near sinkholes where the racing water pools. You are not there. I wait for you again at breakfast time, your chair awash in early morning sun. You do not come Inside this airless house, a stillness reigns. It is the living world that moves so fast, and I am lost. My skin cannot get past the feather weight of your slight hand on mine, the fragile fire of your last touch. And both of those were written for my sweet father who spent the last seven months of his life with us in our home in hospice care. And the last one is another prose poem. And this is dedicated to... uh, Bill Henderson, who every year at the Grand Lake Retreat leads a lot of writers with notebooks on a wonderful nature walk and we stop and do free writes and some of them turn into essays, some of them turn into short stories, some of them turn into poems, and some of them just turn into conversations. So this is called North Inlet Trail, July 12, 2010. Today, I meet the meadow halfway it is holding still. It is green and gold, warmed by a gentle sun. Once, I might have chased it, seized it, worried it the way a dog makes a rag doll of a downed bird. Once, I might have tried to take it apart, my toolkit stocked with mesmerizing weapons of distraction. Then I was a match in a falling forest, a keyboard chewing up the land. Now I let the meadow come to me. I roost on a rail fence, watching five sleek horses ingest the green gold hour, turning sweet grass into muscle and bone. If I hold still enough, long enough, maybe I will see how the thing is done.
1: Pretty freaking amazing, huh? Yeah. I would say pretty good, but my wife would get mad at me because when I say pretty good, she's, she doesn't think that means pretty really fantastic, and um, I get in trouble for that. So, anyways, that would Thank you, guys. Beautiful. She's not here. I know she's not here, which gives me an opportunity to say, "64 looks pretty hot." Don't you think? Yeah. Yeah. I'm not a flirt. I just play one when I'm in front of a microphone. Okay, so the readers. Ready? Ready for some poets? Yeah. Ready for some ekphrastic responses? Yeah. Come on, I need a little bit more energy. Okay, oh, yeah, all right. There we go. Thank you. Okay, first up is uh, Lynn Wagner, wonderful poet and lighthouse instructor. And Lynn loves books, and she has one of her own. It's a beautiful chapbook. It's called No Blues, This Raucous Song. She was an almost librarian, and she helped scan a million images for the Library of Congress. Today, she quit her job. Yeah, stick it to the man. Where are you? Oh, oh, never mind. But then she starts a new one in a week. Please welcome Lynn Wagner.
5: we got to do the shorty thing. All right. All right, so now for something 58% different. Uh, My poem is called uh, Alphabetized Abstractions by Eights. And um, it uses the words from the title uh, exhibit poem, When We Were Birds and I do something with them and uh, so I uh, compose this poem with the help of an algorithm and if you don't know what an algorithm is that's okay because it's National Poetry Month so it's not National Mathematics Month, it's National Poetry Month so uh, the subtitle I'll I'll read the subtitle. Uh, The subtitle is eight three five two seven one four six, one six, three eight seven, two five <laughs> it 's only a subtitle, <laughs> um, so the poems in eight parts i won 't read the numbers which don 't go one, two, three, four, obviously, um, but i 'll just pause in between, and um, if you want to kind of know about the rules of how I made it, I made an explanation conveniently located near the beverages. (laughs) Um. Alphabetized abstractions by eights. As baby bones changed, the air became an Eden. Faster and faster, the roots stir up the pot. Hope is late March and me much older. Slowly the soup began to boil, then truth, a taste unaccustomed to my tongue. Once there was a woman, once a baby, a labor, a ladle, love. The first garden fades, a broken wheel sleeps in quiet loam. Here light knows us, here a chopping, the bending stems of flowers, Shadows of petals cast on a wall. Out of fierce air, experience taught us patience. We were never separate, always with you. And as her back breaks, the dark child will fall, fearless forever. She will fall into great heat If one must reap a searing sky, why must the world be swept of wonderful? Swept until a thing most mighty crawls upon the bank, until these words grow, now seated in ripe earth. As babies, so birds, column by column, flew, until falling to earth, a gentle haze of hate makes light impossible. Much as ocean makes rain out of praise, so she sang, though startled, by the vast love where woman was. Closer and closer, each failed creation hits home hard. The birds know light, no love. Out of an imperfect practice, they rise from the stubble of an open field. So stars are not the only thing to move, though slowly. Once there was a woman, now she is light, is love. Back from a journey the child calls daddy, as ever the fear of flying gives heart to the house inside. Less living means much desolation. Overpressed, she sang slowly. Slowly she spilled her words on the stove. Then the thing turned into poems. Oh woman, where have you been? Before brilliance, every child dazed from hem into hand. Kissed light grew more peaceful without regret. There she will sleep, up, 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 out of the fire, everything dazed and undone, sprouting wings. Heaven's illusion finally breaks apart in baked day, a fiery forgiveness stuck in the loam of open pain. Mommy sleeping, searing split into the reckless night. Every life a dream. Every age unexpected.
1: Sorry about that. I got lost for a minute. I don't know if something happened. Thank you, Lynn. That was wonderful. The algorithm. Hmm. My mother said I, she was using the algorithm method when I was conceived. So I, I guess that explains that. Is that better than the outstanding in the field joke? Probably not. I'll stop. Um, next up, it's my distinct pleasure. Um, are, 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 where's, where's Meg next? There you are. Stand up. You've got to stand up. She's our illustrious, wonderful youth program director. It's fantastic. She somehow convinced three of our, our um, amazing young writers to come and read tonight, and I'm so pleased to have them here. I'm very excited to hear what they have to do, or have to say, have to write, have to recite, have to perform. Anyways, so first up is Katie Foster, who's a senior at Lakewood High School, who would be a cat person if she weren't allergic to them. Uh, automatically, the the unsatisfied desire of a poet is right there. Uh, she's a member of our esteemed teen council, a veteran lighthouser, and she'll be attending Bennington College this fall. Hey, you know they don't give grades. Did you know that, Katie? <laughs> Excellent. All right, come on up. <laughs>
6: there's a pressure to reach the microphone after a certain point. (laughs) All right, so this is called On the Eternal. In the beginning, there was nothing, which is to say everything. You and I and the trees outside my window were all one thing, inside and around and apart. The time I I am speaking of is the time before the Big Bang. I do not claim to know what set off the trigger for such a momentous event. All I know is that for a time immemorial, everything I can think of and more was the same. From there, the universe grew, expanding, morphing, until the pieces of what were to be me became me. A cell of my father's breached a cell of my mother's, and I multiplied. In this way, I can can say I understand belief in God, the holy, unending oneness of the universe. I do not have the arrogance to say that I know there is a master plan, that there is fate. I know that I do not understand and accept that what I know is this— Consciousness is a strange bird. It is likely to be the weirdest thing my cells will ever experience When when I die, when my mind stops turning and my heart stops beating and my lungs stop breathing, I will be dead My pieces will continue to exist. Yes, matter cannot be destroyed My body will rot. I will feed plants and birds with my decaying guts and in that sense I will live beyond my life There will be no heaven or hell In fact, I don't understand how humanity could possibly come up with an idea so absurd. Fear, I suppose, supplanted the thought that there are more conscious moments to be experienced, but alas, I cannot see any way that this is true. I will not exist in a perpetual paradise or lake of fire. Rather, I will become one with the vast silence that exists beyond the confines of my skull that moment before i slip out of my head the instant the instant in which i know i will know i ugh, let me start that over the instant in which i know i will be no more for much longer will be the most beautiful moment of my life thank you
1: thank you katie well done this next gentleman is the author of a collection of poetry some of you own T-shirts from him. Uh, the collection is called Umbrellas or Else. And he is also the evil genius, not totally evil, kind of evil, behind PocketBucketList.com. <laughs> Remember that. It's going to be famous someday. Uh, please welcome J. Diego Fry.
4: Thank you, thank you very much um, Is, is Roger, Roger Welling here In the audience? Okay, then I'm reading his poem instead of mine <laughs> um, R- Roger, uh, Roger is one of the scheduled readers tonight But he was on the road back from uh, The East Coast Driving today And I think, I think he um, Needed the night off So he sent me his poem And I, I wrote a poem also But Roger's is better so I'm going to read Rogers, and I'm and I'm going to read one other poem um, after that 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 I wrote also. Um, <laughs> but we'll st- we're going to start with Roger. Um, and by the way, thanks, uh, Jenny, Jenny Judy. Thanks for the not only the opportunity to um, you know do what we love to do, which is get up in front of people and talk, but um, <laughs> um, but also for the for to respond to uh, some very Uh, inspirational work. Thanks very much. Okay. So this poem is by Roger Welling. Um, The poem is called, and it is in response to the art tonight. Um, The poem is titled Paperwork. Paperwork. From here the words fly into books. They run ahead of meaning, answer to themselves alone. They speak to us of paths begun when first we wandered through old shelves. Let that first obscure title catch our eye. Felt first fresh pages ask us in to delve into mysteries, never say goodbye but now and then, one of them calls out, begs for perusal, not expecting reply. The bird and butterfly return to eggs. cocoons of paper re-enfold the words that gestate there, preparing, spleens and legs, and other parts of speech of future birds, of future selves, of eagles, turns or gulls. They take on the wings, and wings inform the words. And colors rise as chanted magicals that echo tapestries upon old stone, not waiting for a sign they travel distant halls. When first I saw these books you look upon and witnessed love two artists came to share, I found myself uneasy going on. To breathe so difficult in tinted air. The rolling hills of Tennessee in spring with red bud glow and evening swelling fair. The willows colored up remembering. The crocus and john quill pushed up through the snow. Through voice and brush they found the way to sing. Create these sacred spaces that still grow. To help us on the way. Until we shout hallelujahs to the muses that we know. The pages open up and words slip out, then trees begin to stir and move about. That's by Roger Welling. Um, I'd like to read to you a, a, an ekphrastic poem uh, that was written um, uh, for um, a, a different reading. Uh, so, in response to a different artist, but the mood and the and the um, the, the subject makes sense here. Um, so, the this poem um, was written in response to a painting by uh, the the painter uh, Vance Kirkland, who. Uh, if you've seen him he's, he's a he 's a denver painter and his his paintings are everywhere his paintings are in the art museum they're um um they 're somewhere else that I was just recently like uh yeah, yeah. Betcher concert, concert hall exactly yeah um and they're, they're they're large canvases with with great swirls and splashes of color and and um and details and textures but you know it 's just just wonderful. Vast fields of, of color On top of different colors On top of different colors um, You know Something like If you maybe took this uh, This photo here With the different colors And uh, uh, melted it And smeared it around And put it back um, Up there And you, you, you kind of get to the, that point point. And I want to read this poem Because to me this poem um, It feels a lot like uh, Sort of the true experience Of, of ekphrastic writing which is this um, effort to uh, you know address the artist with your words? So the poem, uh, the the painting, the, the Kirkland painting I wrote about had the um, fanciful title um, uh, in in Italian, um, Memo- um, "Memorie di Villa Italia," "Memorie di Villa Italia," and my poem in response is called "Memories of Villa Italia." Sure, I remember Villa Italia. It was a beautiful shopping experience. A million square feet of consumer abalia. Yeah, I remember the Villa Italia. Spencer's gifts with the psychedelia, The orange Julius and the fashion trends. Sure, I remember Villa Italia. It was a beautiful shopping experience. The artist paints us a different villa, one that bleeds with lights and blooms, with hieroglyphics and vanilla. The artist dreams a different villa, a home that could produce Godzilla from any of its clouded rooms. The artist paints us a different villa, one that bleeds with lights and blooms. Perhaps the poet got it wrong. One doubts the artist did. To cast an oil paint in song, perhaps the artist got it wrong. He's not been at this very long. In fact, he's practically a kid. Perhaps the poet got it wrong. One doubts the artist did. Thanks very much.
1: Thank you, J. Diego. That was awesome. Um, Next up is Sam Apoku. He's a new addition to the Lighthouse Young Writers Program. He's a current student in our four-week after-school creative nonfiction workshop, um, and he's also been a student in our outreach class um, at Thornton High School, led by Gail Waldstein, or as us Thorntonites Thorntonites like to say, in -in." (laughs) Thornton. And as um, this is what Meg told me, he is um, one of the most attention- demanding voices in our Young Writers Program. And that's a compliment. So, please welcome Sam.
7: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. This isn't, um... Okay, this is... Silence is the best type of noise by Sama Poku. Silence. Silence. Silence is the best type of noise like the song is not done. Because you like her. Like, really, really like her. So you tell him. But you beg him, please don't tell her. Because if she knew how you felt, well... But then he goes and tells her. And now she knows your secret. Now you're angry. Believe it. Your fists want to go on Michael Jackson's status and just beat it. But you don't. You conceal it. You stay cool, calm, collected, silent... Still, for angry words are the addicting appetizers to a violent meal, but now she sees your silence and now she wants your number because she thinks you're shy. (laughs) Because she likes that shy guy type, but don't ask me why. Try and follow along now, please, because here's the important part. The song is not done. A humble heart is not nearly as frowned upon as a harsh remark. Or the unstable tongue. So I challenge you people. And stop squinting at me as though you're looking through a peephole. People, keep your hearts humble. And your thoughts silent. Especially if they are obtrusively, obviously, (laughs) obnoxiously redundant. Silence like awkward. Because you met her for the first time and she's got something green in her teeth. (laughs) Like, yeah, I think you're gorgeous. I think you're awesome, but (laughs) you did not chew your salad thoroughly. (laughs) And decisively (laughs) through. I wish she would be silent. Silence like you were wrong when you told me one plus one equals two in reality. When actually, if one you and one me get together and agree to rotate the world for the better, then we can have peace. Silence like the cold shoulder. Silence like that used to be loud dog but now has a muzzle. Or silence because she told you to can it. Or she'll put you back in your place like she's working on a puzzle. So jump, shout, yell, impress. But it is that which is undefined and unexpressed that I find most unique. Seek this, and I think that's the highest praise. So when I'm done with this poetry, I hope your hearts are silenced in thought. Even if your hands are raised ready to clap, clap, clap. Because the song is not done. Because silence, oh sweet, simple silence, is the best type of noise.
1: There's a lot of talent up in Thornton, I'm just saying. It's good stuff. Thank you, Sam. Wonderful. Next up is another extremely talented person from the northern suburbs, Northwestern, Arvada, Arvada, Arvada. Yeah, what? Okay, I, I'm. St- I gotta stop. Um, oh, you live west of Arvada, Arvada. Yeah, Golden, almost. Um, with three males, that explains a lot, um, and three pets and dreams of self-cleaning floors. Excellent. Come on up, D. <laughs>
8: I believe you were promised a juggling act. Do you remember that? (laughs) I was going to do a a juggling act, but um, I don't have the
5: balls.
8: (laughs) So you'll have to make do with a poem that I hope I can read. Let's see. And the name of it is An Open Book. The bound spreads from her stitching, flutters where her cover parts. The gathered, as though flushed from bushes, fly and flourish close to the spine, recto verso. Thumb to the place you intend to begin. Forget your third grade teacher's small dominion. Follow your finger, move your lips, Slouch on pillows piled against the headboard. Lick your index finger when you turn a page. (laughs) It didn't work, but... Scan, utter, articulate, declaim words in flight between the cry and the absence of the cry. Though your eyes may sting, hands quiver, lines snag on a weary tongue, refuse to snap your book shut to pray for a favorable wind. Thank you.
1: Next up is Mike Henry. Me? Please hold your applause. Please, just... Uh, Mike Henry used to... Li- I have to read this. I don't have it memorized. Mike Henry used to lie in bed as a kid wondering what kind of career would allow him to sit around all day, staring at the ceiling or the sky, letting his mind wander. He realized just a few years ago that he had realized his dream. He'd become a poet. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Oh, stop. Okay, I'm just going to read one poem. It's called Prayers. Each prayer you whisper is a small bird rising up, settling on a branch in the tree of desire, twisted gray arms, flashing leaves. These birds will not enter heaven, will not lose themselves in bright clouds or run into picture windows. They hover and settle in the ivy wall along the garden, their small voices ringing bells, their flitting nerves unseen. You know their closeness each day, wing brush against your cheek when raking the leaves, a shock of breath. At dawn, they wake you, their conversations a multitude of words without punctuation or denouement. When you gave them up on your knees in flannel pajamas, your hands pressed together, smooth candle flame of fingers, you believed they would come to rest in a God's ear and make your life something else than what it is. But you know, you know, they are just gray-brown finches with hearts like ours, searching for easy seed, building downy nests in the eaves of your house. Thanks. Next up we have another um, amazingly talented reader from our Young Writers Program. Alice Kilduff is a freshman at Denver School of the Arts and has been coming to Lighthouse for years. She's a regular weekender, and this year she's been a participant in both the fiction and the creative nonfiction, of course, the the lower writing arts poetry. (laughs) Sorry. Yeah. Four-week after-school workshops where other students comment on the poised, this is very true, but dramatic way she reads, a manner she might have inherited from her father, who's British. Please welcome Alice Kilduff.
9: Today, down? All right. All right. I also attended the four-week poetry class after school. Also, um, I'm indulgent in all forms. Um, okay, so I wrote a poem called a glossa, and it is a poem created in the Spanish court around the 14th or 15th century, and it is a poet paying tribute to another poet. Um, so it opens with a quatrain by another poet. Um, and is followed by four ten-line stanzas, ending in a line from the quatrain, and the sixth and the tenth or the ninth lines rhyme with the tenth. Um, so the uh, quatrain I chose is by Gwendolyn Bennett, who is an artist herself. She's a painter. She was a painter, and uh, so the quatrain I chose is about her art. Brushes and paints are all I have to speak the music in my soul, while silently there laughs at me a copper jar beside a pale green bowl. You sit on the porch and watch the birds paint the trees. You once told me it was as sweet as the first warm day after a long winter's freeze. A cup of earthy coffee and small cakes split into halves guard your feet. On your lap rests water dyed with human emotion. When these iceberg walls calve, brushes and paints are all I have. Red swirls of ruibus are caught in the snap bass of funk. Orange hips sway on the waves of la musica Latina. Gangly blue lovers are the cat's meow, swept on the back beats of jazz. Charcoal fingers tap along with the tight ringlets of dubstep. The synchronization memorized as a first language. These colors, like a woman's coal, speak the music in my soul. These are my words, my I love you's, my I miss you's my wonder at how something so small and so fragile could be so beautiful. These are my nightmares and my best days, the kind that shine. The flowers on my table and that rusted old church key. Here are all the dresses I remember from summer afternoons, all the birds I've seen painting with your dyed water. Here's the afternoon we climbed the fig tree while silently they laughed at me. That was the first time I tasted the sweet fruit. This purple is my love. And though it doesn't have a beat, it has a song. You always understood me, speaker of colors. You burn like steam coal. These iceberg walls are melting. We sit on the porch with murky water balanced on our laps. You and I are a bird and a tree, a pen and a scroll, a copper jar beside a pale green bowl. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Alice. That was wonderful. And I apologize for the really bad English accent. I've been reading Harry Potter to my youngest child and having a lot of fun with that. Uh, Okay. Next up is Andrea Moore, who is a writer, performer, photographer, and producer. She makes art, and she makes art happen. And she's going to do that right now. Andrea Moore.
10: (laughs) I love it when my endeavor to be simple just reads this really intense. Um, I'm actually going to get rid of this. And um, this. I wanted to thank Janie and Judy. I think it's just so uh, graceful to share your collaboration in this sort of this, you know, it's such a big event to have your collaboration out and appreciate it in front of all these people and to share that with other artists is just such a, a graceful gesture. Yeah. So, And I, this piece uh, is also, I titled it When We Were Birds. And I was really inspired by their collaboration, and it had me reflecting on one of my own. Uh, I work in a collaborative, an arts collaborative, um, and there are five of us. And so thinking about collaboration and that sort of terrible need to work with another artist that I feel, um, because it's so much easier to work alone. Uh, but it's just so not as interesting as forcing myself to get deep and dirty and work with other people. And this, so looking at the, sort of the the real lifting and just especially the back wall, just how the back wall is just winged. And really thinking about um, When We Were Birds as a reflection on sort of the, the story of the life of a particular collaboration. When we were birds, we taught the talk and walked the walk. We taught the flock to fly. We took to the sky. We sought the dock only when our wings had beat like eggs. We're more tired even than our legs. We fought the clock. We flew fast. We passed so much along our way that nothing we could say to anyone could paint the picture that our eyes had seen that marble, medley, evergreen, that symphony our ears had heard when we were birds. When we were birds, we didn't measure our feathers or stretch our necks to know their length or even count our chickens. We flew, we flapped, we dipped and dived, we even dove, we roamed and roved. When we were birds, we worked in groups, We flocked in gangs. We built each other up and sang as loudly as we could, which was always louder than we thought we should at first. We felt magic spark and stir when we were birds. When we were birds, we made it for life. We created a covey, a flurry of pheasants, a fury of feathers in the present, but pinned by the past and smashed in a space too small to avoid being startled by an unexpected sight or sound. A barking dog of descent, a sudden frost on the field yielded the gradual fission of our unified vision. What started as a flutter became a deafening, clucking and clutter, a cacophonous racket, we panicked, overloaded, we exploded to the sky. We scattered. One by one, we'll be picked off by guns. We'll poof like a paintball. We'll pitch in free fall. We'll wheel and careen. We'll rip like a seam. Change is the hound that catches us all by the throat we will reincarnate as a murder of crows and we'll meet on a wire and judge what went wrong we'll trade in our wings for words and talk about the time when we were birds
1: Thank you, Andrea. That was wonderful. Our last reader, almost there, is, uh, proud to call him my good friend, Chris Rancic. Chris Rancic's father failed to talk him out of pursuing poetry and into nuclear engineering, which looks pretty good in retrospect, since cracking the spine of one of Chris's books does not contain cesium, strontium, and other radioactive isotopes into the atmosphere. Let's give it up for Chris Rancic.
11: Judy and Ginny, this is beautiful, and thanks, uh, as Andrea said so well, for inviting me and others to uh, share this. This is a wonderful way of extending the collaboration this evening, so it's um, great. Uh, when, I, when I set out to write this, I knew I wanted to do uh, something very basic. I wanted to write in couplets as if in wings. So uh, this is a poem written in couplets, which probably only matters to poets, but since there's a lot of them here tonight. I... Okay. Uh, this is called Why I Gave Away My Wings, and I stole some of your lines. Why I gave away my wings. If we must love well just one thing before the light fades, let it be earth, not air, the body of the lover, not the idea of her body, the flesh that welcomes flesh, neither desire nor the captive bird whose language will never acquire. I gave away my wings because Daedalus had two sons, but the myth never mentions me. The fish promised gills, but they lied, and I barely made it back to shore. For decades I practiced my guitar, but never learned to sing. I spent afternoons in the cherry tree that refused to fruit until I climbed down. I joined the circus, but ended up each night outside the tent, selling tickets, the roaring lions, and the whip, my soundtrack. I gave away my wings because, pressed between pages, I grew flat and inky, a symbol shifter never close to a crow, never swift as a swallow, never hawk fierce or capable of flying in formation. Better I found to be bound and shelved, to await some distant opening. I flew as a child, but then one day I awoke and my beak had become a pair of lips. My bones were heavy and no longer hollow, and I fell from my perch, and I fell from my perch again. But as every flying child knows, there's so much to forgive and regret. I gave away my wings and learned to love the body lying beside mine in the grass. This was worth the loss. I need never return to the sky.
1: Thank you, Chris. Thank you to all our readers. Wonderful job. Well done.
0: Thank you for listening to the Lighthouse Writers Workshop podcast. We bring this to you thanks to Lighthouse members and funders and listeners like you who support the cause. We are grateful to the SCFD Tier 3 for their support. More information on Lighthouse Writers Workshop and opportunities for involvement can be found on our website at www.lighthousewriters.org.